We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 549 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, April 13th, 2023, and Jeff Bezos is out. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, he is not bidding on the commanders. Jeff Bezos, as of Wednesday evening per Forbes, was the third richest man in the world with an estimated real-time net worth of $120.9 billion. I mean, (laughs) think about that. $120.9 billion, with a B, dollars. But he, per multiple reports, is not attempting to spend any of those billions on buying the commanders. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the man who has owned the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders since May 1999, Dan Snyder. Every recent indication had been that he so wanted Jeff Bezos to bid on the team, that Dan very much wanted Jeff to bid on the team. But that's not happening. <laughs> Danny ain't getting what he wants. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Danny, at least for us, this is a happy Thanksgiving. And so it would appear that we are now even closer to the group being led by Philadelphia 76ers managing partner and New Jersey Devils managing partner Josh Harris buying the Commanders. We on Tuesday's show, episode 547, heard a lot of great things about a key member of the Josh Harris Group, billionaire Mitchell Rails. Uh, we heard these things from our good friend, the former United States ambassador to Belgium, Howard Gutman, uh, in a tremendous appearance on this podcast. Well, Josh Harris, Mitchell Rails, NBA legend Magic Johnson, who of course also was part of the group, uh, we would appear to be closer than ever to those guys becoming the next owners of the Commanders, especially considering this Houston Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta. He was known to be a bidder on the Commanders. He on Wednesday in an interview with CNBC said that he had bid $5.6 billion on the Commanders, but that quote, at some point, you've got 
to draw a line in the sand, end quote. So he would appear to be out. Remember, the Josh Harris bid is reportedly a $6 billion bid. Uh, the bidders for the team, they are dropping like flies. Next segment, a conversation with the person who broke the story of Jeff Bezos not bidding on the commanders. Business insider Teddy Schleifer of Puck News. Uh, he will explain where we are exactly with Jeff Bezos and the truth about what has been going on with Jeff in terms of his involvement in the sale of the commanders. You will hear the truth about the involvement of Jeff Bezos's supposed association with uh, hip-hop superstar Jay-Z, a.k.a. Jigga, a.k.a. Jehova, or sometimes just Hova. <laughs> Depends on your preference. Uh, you also will hear the truth about the involvement of actor and big-time commanders fan Matthew McConaughey, and you will hear about a conversation I said conversation that Dan Snyder and Jeff Bezos had months ago. A massive development in the sale of the commanders. Jeff Bezos is not bidding on the team. The person who broke the story, Teddy Schleifer of Puck News, he will be on this show next segment. Also on the show, we'll discuss losses for the Nationals and Orioles on Wednesday. Uh, for the Nats, a 3-2 loss at the Los Angeles Angels on Wednesday to conclude a seven-game trip out west. The Nats went 3-4 and four on the trip. Uh, the guy who had been the Nats' best starting pitcher so far this regular season, Mackenzie Gore, uh, he lasted for just three and two-thirds innings, and the Nats hitting, uh, once again, not good. Uh, for the O's, an 8-4 loss to the Oakland A's at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Wednesday evening. And yet another game in which the Orioles' starting pitching was bad. Dean Kramer on Wednesday evening, four runs in four and a third innings. Are you following this feud between current wizard Kyle Kuzma, although he may not be a wizard for long uh, with him uh, due to opt out of his contract and become an unrestricted free agent this summer. Uh, but this current feud between current wizard Kyle Kuzma and former wizard Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, they were teammates on the Wizards for less than one season. Uh, and Kuzma and Dinwiddie cannot stand each other. Remember, Dinwiddie ended up lasting with the Wizards for less than one season because he and apparently multiple Wizards could not stand each other. Uh, there's a back and forth going on that culminated with Kyle Kuzma on Wednesday afternoon just shredding Spencer Dinwiddie on Twitter. Uh, Kuzma put out a series of tweets among them, quote, what in the world have you won in this league. LOL, you've been bounced around like a basketball, my boy. End quote. <laughs> Another tweet, quote, second option? More like second point guard. LOL, my man. I watched you for two months at the end of your Wizards tenure being the second option. Average 8-4-4. Sounds good, but glad you're hooping now. End quote. Another tweet, quote, and yup, I got a bag coming. Stop hating, LOL, end quote. And one more tweet, quote, and last but not least, the only way you'll ever be worth your contract is if the NBA finally gives you your wish of getting paid in crypto. Check the markets. Enjoy the clicks. Go Sixers, <laughs> end quote. I tell you, this is Wizards basketball, right? This is what Wizards basketball is all about. Two guys who were part of a dysfunctional mess for the Wizards last season, going back and forth as the Wizards have just missed the playoffs 
for a fourth time in five seasons and remain cemented in mediocrity. This, my friends, is Wizards basketball. The damn Washington Wizards! Exactly, Stephen A. Smith. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Kicksmiths2009 uh, of our conversation on Wednesday's show, episode 548, with Jeremy Popolars, a featured analyst for FTN Fantasy, a conversation about Texas running back Bijan Robinson and whether the commanders should be open to taking Bijan in the first round of the 2023 NFL draft. A first round, by the way, that uh, now is just two weeks away. Uh, I am a no on the Manders taking Bijan Robinson or any running back in the first round, but writes Kicksmiths 2009. Good work, Al. And the answer is no. Draft a quarterback, a lineman, a linebacker, a corner not a running back. Uh, Thank you for the tweet. You know, you never say never in sports. So to me, it's like this. A team should almost (laughs) never take a running back in the first round of an NFL draft. If a team is really good and truly feels like it is a running back away from winning a Super Bowl and there's a running back who the team really likes, then okay, maybe then you can justify taking a running back in a first round of an NFL draft. Although even then, doing so is debatable. But for a team like the Commanders, who are not a running back away from winning a Super Bowl and who have plenty of other needs, spending that number 16 overall pick in the 2023 draft on Bijan Robinson is not the way to go. The only scenario under which I personally could accept the Commanders taking Bijan in the first round is if they traded down and took him. But even then, uh, taking him would be debatable. One of the smartest people when it comes to talking NFL to me is ESPN NFL analyst Bill Barnwell. Uh, he wrote a big piece about Bijan Robinson that came out on Monday. Here are the final two paragraphs of that piece. Quote, would I take Robinson as a first round pick only if everything lined up? I would need to have a Hall of Fame caliber grade on him and be picking at a spot in which I didn't feel great about the players a tier below at other positions. I would need to have a roster in which I felt confident about my starters and my primary depth at quarterback, left tackle, wide receiver, and edge rusher. Even then, I would be better off trading down and drafting a couple of backs in the middle rounds to compete for an opportunity. But I would at least have a serious conversation about taking Robinson in the final quarter of day one. That will probably look foolish because the most likely scenario is Robinson turns into a great player early in his career. Given how the market values running backs, how hard it is to find players at scarcer positions without using a first-round pick, and how easy it has been to find solid running backs on the cheap, it's difficult for me to believe whichever team takes Robinson couldn't have gotten a better deal by using that pick on a player at a more valuable position and solving its running back issue some other way, end quote. Well put by Bill Barnwell. Email from Gene in Manassas, Virginia on the commander's defensive line dilemma. Uh, The team, of course, has signed Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne to big money contract extensions, has Montez Sweat entering the fifth and final season of his rookie contract, and needs to decide by May 1st whether to exercise the fifth-year option in the rookie contract to Chase Young. Writes Gene, I enjoy your podcast daily. Thank you, Gene. Continues Gene. I have a question for you. I keep hearing that we can't keep Montez Sweat and Chase Young, but isn't there an alternative? 
Payne had a career year. His value is high. Shouldn't we trade Payne high, not trade Chase low? I understand that if last season represents the remainder of Payne's career, then you keep him. But absent knowledge of that, the most probable future is a return to the mean. That means next year will be worse. Maybe Payne benefited from playing next to Allen, and thus Payne's replacement would do well. The rotation guys in last year's draft pick can replace Payne. Shouldn't we then trade Payne for a first-round draft pick and then trade up with two first-round picks for a star offensive tackle or quarterback? What say you? Uh, thank you for the email, Gene. You know, <laughs> this is not the first email that I've gotten that the commanders of having just signed Duran Payne to a big money contract extension now should trade Duran. Boy, you people are harsh. You guys are gangsters. Uh, I love it, man. Uh, I am not against the commanders trading anyone if the circumstance is right. But specific to Duran, if who he was this past season is who he now is, then that is an elite interior defensive lineman. And he's young and he has been durable and he now is under contract for the next four seasons. That's not the kind of player who you're normally trying to get rid of. The number one question with Duran, of course, is was his 2022 season who he now is or was it just him having a great contract season of having been good but not great over his first four NFL seasons? And This really is where the people in the building, commander's management, uh, need to have a good handle on the player. Uh, We can't know Duran the way that the head coach, Ron Rivera, and the defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, and the defensive line coach, Jeff Scanina, and the general manager, Martin Mayhew, know Duran. And so if they feel comfortable that the Duran who we saw this past season is who Duran truly now is as a player... And presumably, the team does feel this way. Otherwise, the team would not have signed him to this contract extension. Uh, Then okay, you know, you got to sort of trust in the people who, in theory, know best. But those people just better be right, okay? Uh, But in theory, a very good player who is young and who has been durable and who now is under team control for the next four seasons, you're not looking to get rid of a guy like that. You want to build around players who fit that description. Uh, What the team does with the edge defenders is going to be so fascinating. Does it exercise this fifth-year option for Chase Young? Does the team sign Montez Sweat to a contract extension this offseason? Because if the answer to each question is no, then each guy's 2023 season is a contract season. We will have both Chase Young and Montez Sweat going into contract seasons. And You know, Ron Rivera can talk all that he wants about wanting to motivate players, but uh, that is a dangerous roster game to be playing. Now, I would not have a problem with the commanders not exercising Chase's fifth-year option. There are plenty of reasons not to do it. But I do want the team to sign Montez Sweat to a contract extension. He, to me, is worthy of an extension. And the extension shouldn't cost top-of-the-market money. You know, like a deal should be able to get done to where the deal isn't a top-of-the-market contract for an edge defender in the NFL. Well, the commanders hopefully have a great deal with Deron Payne, but, you know, as good as that deal may be, it isn't as good as the deal that Shady Rays is offering to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the promo code 
Al Galdi. Shady Rays sunglasses. They look good. They feel good. Shady Rays. It is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. And Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. Here's a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, 50% off two or more pairs of of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There is no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. So go to ShadyRays.com and use that code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you've been thinking about getting new sunglasses, now is the time, and Shady Rays is the way. Try for yourself The Shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Also, Shady Rays has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Shady Rays look good and feel good. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A big help is if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast via most platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, A subscription to the pod costs you nothing and make sure that you never, ever miss an episode. Uh, You want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two, can be more, but doesn't have to be. And uh, thank you for subscribing, rating it. And reviewing. Well, we on Wednesday afternoon had big news in the sale of the Commanders. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is out, at least for now, and maybe for good. Uh, As I've been saying, there had been no bigger mystery in the sale of the team than the mystery that was the extent to which 
Jeff Bezos was involved because his wealth blows away the wealth of all other known or suspected bidders for the team. Uh, Well, Bezos now is out. Uh, We on Wednesday afternoon had multiple reports that Bezos is not bidding on the commanders. The news was broken by business insider Teddy Schleifer of Puck News. Uh, He on Wednesday afternoon reported that he, from a source with direct knowledge of the matter, has learned that Jeff Bezos is, quote, not in the bidding process and is not currently planning to make a bid for the team, end quote. Additionally, sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports, he on Wednesday afternoon reported that, quote, Jeff Bezos will not bid on the Washington Commanders, a source with knowledge of the situation, told Front Office Sports, end quote. We, for weeks, uh, have had a number of signs that Commanders co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder was practically begging (laughs) Jeff Bezos to bid on the team. Well, it turns out that Jeff isn't bidding on the team, and that sure would seem to clear the way for the group being led by Philadelphia 76ers managing partner and New Jersey Devils managing partner Josh Harris to buy the Commanders. Joining me now on the Al Galdi podcast is the man who broke the news of Jeff Bezos not bidding on the Commanders, Teddy Schleifer of Puck News. You can follow him on Twitter, at Teddy Schleifer, and Schleifer is spelled S C H L E I. F-E-R. Teddy, congrats on the big scoop. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, journalism is iterative, right? I mean, so you, you do, you do little stories here and there and, uh, you know, I've been, I'm not a sports reporter, but I've been, uh, uh, enmeshed in, in this little world for the last, uh, two or three weeks and talking to a lot of the bankers and lawyers around it. So, um, you know, you, for questions about the commanders, uh, you, you, you know best. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming at this from like the Bezos angle as opposed to like an expert on, you know, the team. I hear you, man. Well, with this entire commander situation, people like you have been sucked into talking football and people like me have been sucked into talking about sales and scandals and investigations. So uh, we're all learning as we go. Uh, Your reporting is that Jeff Bezos isn't bidding on the commanders, at least for now, with the idea being that it is possible that he ultimately does make a bid. How likely is that in your opinion? You know, I would be surprised if there wasn't a final call made by the Snyder folks to the Bezos camp at the end of this process. Um, you know, I think it would be silly not to. You know, the, the, the Bezos and Snyder camps have been in contact. Um, you know, uh, Bezos hired a team of bankers at Allen & Co. Um, Snyder, of course, has the team at, at B of A. Um, you know, there's a family office, family offices that know each other. I wrote a couple weeks ago that, that um, Bezos and Snyder had actually talked at one point late last year. Um, so it's not as if they don't know where to find each other. Um, uh, but as of right now, you know, my reporting is that Jeff is not planning to make a bid currently. Um, so, you know, that, that sort of resolves one of the big mysteries over the last six months or so, which is that was Bezos actively working on a campaign to, to buy this thing, right? Um, uh, and, and to some extent, like, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, Jeff was just like sitting at home in Seattle or in Hollywood being like, you know, stroking his his, his chin or his, you know, nice bald head saying, like, should I buy the commanders? Like, there were active, he was doing active work to, to scrutinize this, right? He hired bankers, which you don't, you don't have to do that, right? You know, uh, my understanding is he did sign NDA at one point in the process. You don't have to do that. Like, like you know, he was talking with Snyder. You don't have to do that. Um, so this is, a, this is an active interest of his. Um, but at this point in the process, 
you know, at least as of, as of mid-April, he's made the decision to not do it. Do you know why he has made that decision? I don't. And, and um, you know, as I said, things are iterative and, you know, if it's possible by tomorrow, I, I'll know more. But I know that Jeff, um, you know, uh, he's very much wanted to be an owner of an NFL team. Uh, I reported a few weeks ago that, you know, partially at the at the encouragement of his partner, Lawrence Sanchez, and uh, her, uh, her former partner, Tony Gonzalez, who, of course, you know, is one of the guys on the Amazon Thursday Night Football broadcast. Um, Bezos has, has had an interest in owning a team for a long time. You know, uh, he grew up playing, I think you could probably say, some football. I don't, I don't want to overstate it. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, is he, like, passionate about owning the commanders specifically? Um, I don't know. Um, he, you know, there's a lot of curiosity about what the future of the Seahawks is going to be. You know, Cody Allen uh, is likely to sell that team in the next couple of years. Um, you know, this, 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 the Snyder situation is just complicated, right? Um, you know, Dan is obviously a complicated figure, like the stadium situation, which, you know, you know more about than I, is, is a, uh, you know, a complexifier, I guess. Um, so, so there could be the one possibility is Jeff just wants kind of like to wait his time turn when, you know, he can, he, he's not desperate to own any team. Um, so maybe he makes a bit of a Seahawks in a couple of years. I mean, another possibility is that like, like, I mean, you know, yes, Jeff has been like kind of the bully at the poker table here with the biggest chips, but like maybe he doesn't think this team is worth, you know, six and a half, seven billion dollars or whatever he'd have to bid to, you know, beat out the other folks. Um, there, there's there's lots of reasons, but I'm, I'm firmly in the realm of speculation. I don't actually know uh, why he decides to take a pass. You know, just thinking about this, the timeline to me is worth noting. It was last November 2nd that we learned that the commanders were for sale. It was the next day, November 3rd, that we had multiple reports that Jeff Bezos was interested in buying the team uh, and that uh, hip-hop superstar Jay-Z might be part of of a Bezos bid for the team. And it always felt like the sale of the commanders was Bezos's to lose. And as you said, he did have interest in buying the team. Uh, he just has decided not to bid on the team. Yeah. One, one thing there is, I think part of this has to do with like some, some inside baseball on how journalism works. I mean, like I, I wrote a story actually all, all of yesterday um, that, that Jay-Z and Matthew McConaughey, who's the other guy who's been linked to these bids, were never actually involved in the Jeff bid. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay-Z was seen at lunch with him or dinner with him in L.A. Like, I'm, I think they talked about the commanders. I wouldn't be surprised they talked about it. But, like, Jay-Z was never, like, part of the bit. And, and Matthew McConaughey, who, you know, uh, football fans will know, is, like, you know, a close friend of Dan Snyder's. Uh, McConaughey is, like, talking with lots of bidders right now. I would not be surprised to see him in a bid. Um, like, I think he's kind of going to go with whoever wins. They'll, like, throw McConaughey in there just for, like, the, the sex appeal. Um uh, McConaughey is like was not like he, like he did not join the Jeff Bezos bid. There was that that was false. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to make it sound like Jeff was like you know unfairly like roped into this media spectacle against his will. Like there was a very clear interest by him in this team, hiring bankers, signing documents, talking with Snyder. Like he, it's not this was not a manufactured like media creation. Um, he was interested and then he decided to not be interested. And I think like things changed maybe in like the January, February period. Um, you know, at least through the end of the year, he was, uh, actively considering this. 
Um, and you know, like people, people in like business school talk about optionality, which is like one of these, you know, very jargony words that, you know, doesn't really know, no one really knows what it means, but like the, the core, the core idea is like, you want the option to do it and, and you always want to have the option to do it, but you never want to be like actively doing it or actively not doing it. Right. So, so Jeff, I think has always maintained optionality about this. He has kept the ability to maybe place a bid. Um, and ultimately he decided not to at the last minute. Um, and, uh, optionality, I guess was, was exercised. Um, uh, and maybe it still will be exercised. Like maybe he can, you know, uh, keep the option open. The door is never closed. There's always a dollar figure for something, right? I mean, if Snyder would sell it to him for, you know, six bucks, I'm sure Jeff would do it. You mentioned that Dan Snyder and Jeff Bezos have spoken. Uh, that is fascinating for many reasons, including that the reporting not that long ago was that Dan was preventing Jeff from bidding on the team in theory due to Jeff's ownership of the Washington Post, with which Dan has feuded for years. What can you tell us about this interaction between Dan and Jeff? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disappoint you again. I don't have a ton of detail on it. I, I was just told that, that, that Jeff and Dan spoke uh, late last year, kind of holiday-ish time. Um, they're not close. I mean, so it is interesting that they that they did speak. Uh, my understanding is it was, you know, about this. It wasn't just like, you know, hire your kids. Um, yeah. Um, but yes, that was late last year. So is it true that Dan Snyder was preventing Jeff Bezos from bidding on the team? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> well, uh, Dan Snyder preventing Jeff Bezos from bidding on the team, uh, would be classic petty Dan Snyder. <laughs> so that is plausible. But what's funny is that lately the reporting has very much indicated that Dan Snyder has been like pleading with Jeff Bezos to bid on the commanders. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, I talked about optionality with, with Jeff. I'm thinking about this from Dan's perspective. Like, maybe you want optionality for Dan, too, right? You want the ability to sell it to Jeff if, if you know, the movie strikes you. Um, but you also want the ability to not sell it to him. And to some extent, Snyder's played this pretty well, right? Like, you've always kind of had the, the specter of Jeff Bezos, you know, the possibility uh, of him hanging around the hoop. And, like, you got to believe that, you know, Josh Harris and, you know, our friend Steve, like, are, are aware of that possibility and maybe that, plays up the bid price um um and you know this way you don't have to uh you don't have to really say anything one way or the other like i think if i think if it was very very well known that jeff was was hanging was like the likely bidder around this um you could have that could have spooked josh harris from even getting involved right because like you know josh lost out on the broncos two you know two years ago right to some other wealthy clan um um, I, I remember I was talking with a, a deal maker who's following this this transaction a couple of year, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me that um, you know he remembers talking with bidders early on or possible bidders early on who were saying that um, you know they don't want to do this and just to be kind of the stalking horse for Jeff Bezos. So if it was almost so Dan had to kind of walk a fine line, right, where he wants Jeff to be. Perceived to be involved in the deal enough to drive up the price, but not perceived to be like the sure thing so much so that it keeps other bidders out of the picture entirely. And like, I think he kind of did it, um, believe it or not. So good for him. What you say makes sense. We're discussing the sale of the commanders, including Jeff Bezos not bidding on the team with the man who broke the news of him not bidding on the team, business insider Teddy Schleifer. 
of puck news. So is the sale now essentially over? I mean, is the path now cleared for Josh Harris to be the next majority owner of the Commanders? Yeah, I kind of feel that way. Um, I mean, you know, I don't know if there's like a drafting line on on, uh, on, on Josh Harris's uh, uh, chance of winning this, but uh, yeah, I think I think Harris is, you know, certainly certainly fair to say the favorite at this point. Do you think that the NFL is disappointed that Jeff Bezos isn't buying the Commanders? I mean, I feel like the the fact that Jeff was not going to spend, you know, some ungodly amount of money and push up, the, you know, the the equity value of the other 31 teams has got to be disappointing if you're, you know, Jerry Jones or Jim Irsay or, or whomever who's, you know, thinking about selling next. And, you know, everyone is supposed to sell eventually or their, their kids do eventually. Um, so to some extent, like other owners just want like the drunkest guy at the bar, right? You want the person who's yeah. spend, spend the most. Um, uh, but you also don't want to, uh, or, or what was working against Jeff was you know, the fact that so much of the equity value is derived from these media deals that the league has struck and Amazon is, you know, uh, a very important media partner and could become, you know, the most important important media partner down the line. And if I think if they sold to Jeff, it would have introduced, you know, certainly a potential complex of interests. And I think these things would need to be very lawyered. And uh, it would have been, I don't want to say it was like, you couldn't work through it, but I, I do think it would have been difficult, um, given that Jeff is the executive chair of, of a company that uh, is, you know, broadcasting Thursday Night Football. So when you sell to Josh Harris, like there's no no issue there. Um, so to some extent, uh, I think the things are easier now that Jeff is not going to be getting the team because now the the gravy train can keep on running. Last one for you: the reporting on the sale of the Commanders has been all over the place. Uh, The reporting has been confusing and at times conflicting. And I say that not as a shot at those doing the reporting, but rather as like an acknowledgement of uh, the tricky and complicated nature of this story, uh, which, as you know, is like constantly changing and evolving. I'm just curious, as a journalist, how do you go about deciphering what's true and what isn't? and when a source is giving you valid intel, and when a source is just using you, etc. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, journalism is, is a, a craft, um, and, and it's tough, right? I mean, there's uh, days where, you know, you always have to ask yourself, what is the agenda of someone telling you something? And, like, sometimes, like, you know, look, everyone's got an agenda, or most times they have an agenda, so just because they're, you know, spinning you on their point of view doesn't mean that what they're telling you is false, Um um, so I'm always thinking about, you know, why people are telling me certain things. Um, and, and, you know, to some extent, this isn't that different than covering any M&A deal, right? Where, you know, if it's Amazon buying Whole Foods or, or anything, right, you, you, there's different sides. Um, um, you know, there's a, a target and, uh, you know, uh, the acquirer. And obviously in this case situation, there's multiple possible acquirers, there's bankers around the deal, lawyers around the deal. There's the league, you know. Who knows? There's the players. I have no idea. You know, is Chase Young leaking? I don't. Know. <laughs> I have no idea. But like, like, like there, there is a, uh, there, there, there is an element of, of uh, sports reporting that is just kind of reading people, um, and it's uh, you know not easy. But um, you know, I'm not trying to crap on other reporters. Like this is this is tough to do, um, and we're all trying our best. Um, but there's. You know, I think different reporters are talking to different sources, and sometimes it's why you get 
yeah. kind of story that, that contradicts one another. Well, great work by you, business insider Teddy Schleifer of Puck News. Uh, thanks a lot for your time. All the best. You bet. Thanks so much. All right. Well, Jeff Bezos may be out on bidding for the commanders, but you can be in on advertising on this podcast. Uh, advertising your business or practice on the pod will grow your business or practice and make you more money. Uh, podcast advertising is very affordable. You very much get a bang for your buck. And podcast advertising works. Email us. See what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Galdi Podcast at yahoo.com. Well, as we know, the bar for the 2023 Nationals is low. Uh, Expectations for our rebuilding Nats are low. But still, it's hard not to be disappointed with what happened late night on Tuesday night and then on Wednesday. Uh, The Nats concluded a seven-game trip out west with two consecutive losses. And so a trip on which the Nats were three and two ended up being a trip on which the Nats went three and four. Uh, The Nats lost at the Los Angeles Angels, 2-0 late night on Tuesday night, and lost at the Angels 3-2 on Wednesday to lose two of three games in the series. Uh, The Nats now are four and nine. It is worth mentioning that each of the Nats' last four losses has been by two runs or less, including three one-run losses. But Again, Wednesday was disappointing, especially from a starting pitching standpoint. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, he was the Nats' starting pitcher on Wednesday. He had been quite good at each of his first two starts this regular season, but Gore on Wednesday lasted for just three and two-thirds innings. Uh, Gore, over his three and two-thirds innings, allowed two runs. He gave up four hits, all of which were singles, but he issued four walks. He did record six strikeouts, but the walks and the strikeouts drove up his pitch count to where he, over his mere three and two-thirds innings, threw a whopping 88 pitches, 53 strikes versus 35 balls. And get this, Gore's outing ended a streak of 11 consecutive games in which Nats starting pitchers each lasted for at least five innings. Pretty good. Raise your hand if you expected the Nats to have a streak like that. Uh, And yet they did until Wednesday. Uh, Gore, in the bottom of the third, allowed a run on a leadoff walk of Brett Phillips uh, and a one-out throwing error by catcher Kbert Ruiz. Phillips off stealing second base, then tried to steal third base, and Ruiz's throw to third was way off and went into left field, allowing Phillips to score for a one nothing Angels lead. Gore in the bottom of the fourth allowed a run on two singles and two walks, including a two-out bases-loaded walk of Brett Phillips to tie the game at two. And then that was it. Uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez pulled Gore in favor of reliever Mason Thompson. This was Davey during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday evening on Mackenzie Gore. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with my co-host of the Nats Chat Podcast, Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I mean, he threw some pitches out pretty close. I mean, it, he's around the plate. Just you know, they're just you know one strike. So, um, just one you know one of those days. You know, and his pitch count got way up there. So you know, we had to get him out of there. Um, but you know what? He's got he's got you know five days to be back out there again. And uh, uh, you know, I, I told him after the game, hey, you're throwing you're throwing the ball well. You know, just like I said, we got to keep the ball over the white, uh, make those guys hit the ball. Defense has been playing really well. So uh, let's come back, come back in five days and do it again. He looked like he was surprised to see you come out there. Was he pretty frustrated? I don't think he real. I don't think he realized how many pitches he has thrown. Um, but that's a lot. You know, I can't leave. Him, keep, I'm not going to leave him out there like that. So um, I thought you know it was a good spot for uh, um, for Thompson to come in there, and he did he did a great job. Kept us in the game, like I said. Uh, so um, you know, we just couldn't, couldn't score a couple runs. No, you couldn't. Look, Mackenzie Gore is a young pitcher. He's not going to be great every time 
He pitches, and you know, it's not like he was that bad on Wednesday. It's just that, you know, we had gotten greedy (laughs) given how well he had pitched in each of his first two starts this regular season. The 4-1 win over the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park on April 2nd. Gore made his Nationals regular season debut, and he was good. One run in five and a third innings, six strikeouts, and then the 10-5 win at the Colorado Rockies this past Friday night. Gore, two runs in six innings with six strikeouts. Uh, Also disappointing for the Nats on Wednesday, their offense. Uh, The Nats totaled just two runs, uh, totaled just six hits, all of which were singles, uh, and the Nats worked zero walks. The Nats scored their two runs in the top of the fourth that the Nats began with four consecutive singles, and the Nats in that inning also got an RBI ground out from the returning Luis Garcia. Yeah, he was back. Uh, He returned from a four-game absence caused by a hamstring injury. He was the Nats' starting second baseman and number six batter went over four with an RBI ground out. But man, the Nats just do not hit for any power, and this game on Wednesday was a prime example of that. Again, six hits, all of which were singles. Uh, two Nats each got on base multiple times, Jamber Candelario and Kbert Ruiz. Uh, Candelario got on base three times. He is the Nats starting third baseman and number two batter, two for three with two singles and a hit by pitch. Uh, Kbert Ruiz as the Nats starting catcher, number five batter, two for four with two singles and a throwing error. Uh, Joey Manessis as the Nats starting DH and number four batter, one for four with an RBI single. Uh, he and that Nats Two-run fourth had an opposite field RBI single to right field to tie the game at one despite having been down to the count at 1.12. But Manessis still has not homered in this regular season. He has hit some balls hard, but his slugging percentage is just 306. This is a guy who last regular season, over 240 major league plate appearances, slugged 563. And even if you don't think that he's that guy... Uh, you'd like to think that he's not a 306 slugging guy either. I don't think that he is, but he is off to a rough start in the power department. Uh, the bright spot for the Nats on Wednesday was their bullpen, uh, which ended up having a terrific series at the Angels, off having had a rough series in the four-game split at the Rockies. Uh, four Nats relievers on Wednesday combined to allow one run in four into third innings. Mason Thompson allowed one run in one and two thirds innings, but he came into the game in the bottom of the fourth with the bases loaded, two outs, and the game tied at two, and he got Taylor Ward to ground out for the third out as for a third time in three games in this series, a Nats reliever got out of a tight spot. Uh, late night on Monday night, the 6-4 win, Hunter Harvey came into the game, bottom of the sixth, runner on second, two outs, Nats nursing a 5-4 lead, and the great Mike Trout at the plate, and Harvey struck out Trout swinging on six pitches, uh, the last of which was a four-seam fastball that came in at 98.3 miles per hour per stat cast. Late night on Tuesday night, the 2-0 loss, Thaddeus Ward came into the game, bottom of the sixth, bases loaded, two outs, Nats down 2-0, and he struck out Luis Renjifo looking on five pitches for the third out, and then Mason Thompson did what he did on Wednesday. So some great uh, fireman work by Nats relievers in this series. Now, Mason Thompson on Wednesday in the bottom of the sixth did allow a run. Uh, He allowed a run on a leadoff double by Brandon Drury to the left field corner and a went out first pitch opposite field RBI single by Logan Ohapi to right center field for a 3-2 Angels lead. Hunter Harvey recorded the final two outs in the bottom of the sixth, but did then issue a leadoff walk of Mike Trout in the bottom of the seventh and got pulled from the game. Carl Edwards Jr. in the bottom of the seventh, faced three batters and got three outs. So the first batter he faced, the ex-Nat, Anthony Rendon, he did reach base via a fielding error by first baseman Dominic Smith, who allowed a well-hit grounder to get by him. But Edwards then recorded three outs over two batters, including an inning-ending line-out double play to Dominic Smith 
off the bat of Luis Renjifo. And then Erasmo Ramirez tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth. Bottom line, Nats relievers in this series at the Angels combined to allow one run in 10 and two-thirds innings. Next up for the Nats, a much-needed off day. Uh, Their first off day this month. (laughs) Uh, The Nats' last off day was March 31st. Uh, The Nats this weekend have a three-game series against the Cleveland Guardians at Nationals Park. Well, the Orioles pitching has been a bit of a problem so far in this 2023 regular season, and the pitching was a problem on Wednesday evening. An 8-4 loss to the Oakland A's at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The O's fell to 6-6. Dean Kramer, he was bad for a third time in as many starts in this regular season. Kramer allowed four runs in four into third innings. He gave up five hits, two home runs, a double and two singles. He issued two walks and a hit by pitch. He recorded just one strikeout. Yeah, one strikeout over four and a third innings. And he, over his four and a third innings, threw a staggering 90 pitches, just 52 strikes versus 38 balls. Uh, Kramer, in a three-run first for the A's, gave up a one-out three-run home run by Brent Rooker on a bomb to center field. And this happened on an 0-2 pitch. Uh, the homer winner projected 420 feet per stat cast. This was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night on Dean Kramer. Well, just, you know, a ton of deep counts. Um, you know, an 0-2 mistake there, slider right in the middle of the plate for a three-run homer. Uh, the first, um, then was, I thought he pitched okay the next few innings. Put up zeros, just, you know, the pitch count is, is an issue right now with some of our guys. And, um, is it 90 plus pitches in the fifth and so we just got to be able to put guys away a little bit earlier we got to be able to get some early contact yeah Dean Kramer has not looked good so far Kramer in the Orioles 9-8 walk-off loss at the Boston Red Sox on April 1st allowed five runs in three innings Kramer in the Orioles 7-6 win over the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Friday afternoon was mediocre at best. Four runs in five innings. Now, the fourth run that he allowed was an inherited runner who scored with reliever Logan Gillespie pitching. Uh, Kramer gave up five hits, a homer and four singles. The homer was a two-out, three-run homer by Franchi Cordero on a bomb to right field at the top of the fourth. And Kramer issued three walks. He did record four strikeouts. Dean Kramer in the 2022 regular season was a major bright spot for the O's. 22 games, 21 starts, ERA of 323, ERA plus of 124. But Kramer so far this season, no bueno. Uh, The Orioles starting pitching ERA for this regular season now is 639. No bueno. Uh, And the Orioles bullpen had problems on Wednesday evening. Keegan Aiken and CNL Perez combined to allow four runs in two innings. Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night, admitted that he was limited with his bullpen options because the pen already is taxed. The O's over 12 games have totaled 49 and a third relief innings. That's an average of more than four relief innings per game. Uh, the Orioles offense on Wednesday evening, four runs, uh, eight hits, two doubles, and six singles, three walks. Uh, Adley Rutschman had another big hit. Uh, he is the Orioles' starting DH and number two batter, one for three with an RBI single. Uh, he had an Orioles two-run seventh at a two-out 
RBI single. Rutschman for this regular season has an OPS of 1,100. <laughs> uh, not bad. Uh, Rutschman has been awesome. Uh, game four for the O's against the A's at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Thursday afternoon at 105. The former member of the Oakland A's, Cole Irvin, he will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 550. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders. Also talk Capitals and Orioles. The Caps are home to the New Jersey Devils. Thursday night at 7 and the Caps' final game of the season. Uh, the O's are home to the Oakland A's on Thursday afternoon at 105 to conclude a four-game series. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.